You're listening to Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast. Yep, still engaging in superhero battles. It's just more of that. Today we're talking uh, about, we're, we're catching fight. up with the Marvel Universe. At, I think Lawrence's request, we just all watched the Marvels, and most of us probably watched some of those recent TV shows, Loki and the Secret Wars and the Ms. Marvel and what, whatever has come out in the past couple years. Though that's not been a requirement for all of us. This is Mark Lintenmeyer. I give an excuse that I keep switching places with my alternate, same-powered other selves, but nobody seems to buy it. I'm Al Baker, and I used to be fun and exciting, but now I seem to just make everybody annoyed. (laughs) I'm Sarah Lynn Brooke, and keeping all of the characters straight in the Marvel Universe is like herding cats. Near impossible. And I'm Lawrence Ware, and I think the Marvel Universe has fallen down significantly, but I had a great time in the movies last night. And I'm Viola Berlu. Thank you for having me back. Uh, busy running my flirk in foster care when I'm not in school. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Vi, returning champion. The heroine's journey was your first one with us, and, and you've come back a couple times. So where are we at with this? Who wants to start us off? Well, I thought, because I'm kind of a newbie at all of this Marvel stuff, I definitely haven't watched as much as some of you guys have. So it, it felt like kind of cramming for a test. But I really enjoyed the new Marvels movie. I was very surprised at how pleasant I thought it was and how much fun I had in the movie theater, even though it's not making any money. What about you guys? Vi, weigh in. Special guest. I am totally caught up on the MCU, uh, having finished Loki and uh, have seen the Marvels. And yeah, I agree. It was fun. I enjoyed it. There were some gems in it, but I'm not sure that it's uh, the best trajectory for the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole. I think there were some endemic problems with it, but we can get into that. Still had a good time, though. Still laughed. Still enjoyed the end credit scenes as kind of my payoff for having done all the homework to get there. Uh, <laughs> so I'd be curious to hear, too, your take on, on uh, scenes that are really revealing, especially for comics fans, that, you know, first-time moviegoers, how they land if they land differently. In rewatching a lot of Marvel stuff in preparation for this, I've been a reasonably big fan of Marvel since the first Iron Man movie. And I felt like my taste for Marvel has been basically in line with the popular zeitgeist. I was super excited when the MCU's first started kicking off. And then just after Endgame, I finally succumbed to the fatigue. And everything since then has just hasn't kind of grabbed me in the same way. And re rewatching a lot of Marvel stuff, I have become more aware of the issues that were kind of there with the series all along and maybe indicated that it didn't have the legs that a lot of people certainly at Disney thought it would. And I, I'm really interested to talk about, because I think more or less everyone agrees that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been on a downward trajectory for at least a few years. And I'm kind of interested to see what, why everyone thinks that is and if it's, as I suspect, to do with the way they set up the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the first place, or if it's just literally that they've run out of good ideas and public patience. All right. Hi, guys. <laughs> Let's have a fireside chat. So there is, on the one hand, the movie The Marvels, which I think is delightful. It is incredibly diverse. It has Black people at the center of it. It has people from Pakistan at the center of it. This is a wonderful film. It's really good. Is it great? Is it in game level? No. Is it mid tier second 
phase? Yes. Is it mid-tier, third phase? Yes. And so on the surface, this film is really, really, really good. I enjoyed it. I had a great time with it. Brie Larson got on my nerves. I love the post credit scene. It let me know something cool is coming. I am a X-Men guy from way back from the 90s. So that made me great. This is a really good film. The Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole is in shambles for one reason and one reason only. is because they cranked up production on a whole bunch of TV shows and they were not able to keep the quality at the level that it should have been for the TV shows. And then beyond that, there's also the stuff going on with the films. Marvel has a pretty good hit rate, but every now and then they have some duds. So for me, the issue has to do not really with their ability to do storytelling. It has nothing with their ability to be creative. It has nothing to do with the, well, it has something to do with the, with the artists who are overworked doing CGI. But the issue with me is all behind the scenes with Marvel. Now, Marvel has said in 2024, they're going to take a break. They're going to release only Deadpool next year. And they're going to focus on doing better films. This, for me, is a sign that things could turn around, although I am way off the Marvel train. So do you think that the Marvel's movie, the fact that it hasn't done as well at the box office is just, it's kind of been, even though it's good, I think it's also gotten relatively good reviews. It's sort of collateral damage. The fact that Marvel has been so bloated lately with all of the TV shows and the three movies a year and all that kind of stuff. It's just been a victim of all of the behind the scenes stuff. I think that what we're seeing is the progression of people falling out. So I have, so my son, my oldest son, LJ, he's really off of Marvel. Like he, he, he doesn't even want to go see the Marvels. And I say, Hey, the movie was good. Hey, good, good for them. Like he's really off of them. And the issue is that Marvel has been so disappointing with the TV shows. They've been so disappointing with the films. Like Quantum Mania was a disaster of a film. And then Secret Invasions was a like Titanic sinking level disaster of a TV show. Like it was bad, bad. And so I think that what we're seeing is the end result of Marvel having made bad decisions for the past two, three years. And we're seeing like the serious decline of the box office when it comes to that. Also, there's a little bit of superhero film fatigue. There was a time you could just release a movie that was like mediocre and throw some superheroes in there and it would do very well at the box office. You can't do that anymore. You've kind of worn out your welcome. It's a confluence of all these things. And that's the reason why I think it's really smart that Marvel's taking this time off to kind of get their stuff together. Because, look, if people are going to be fatigued by superhero films, at least make movies that you put out at least good, like really, really good. And on the back end, you kind of catch up. But I do think there's a lot of fatigue. So I think a lot of things going on to make the film as unsuccessful as it is. Although it appears to have a little bit of legs, so maybe you'll make his money back. But, you know, and then there's a whole issue with them spending $15 million on this film, which is absurd. So there's all kinds of issues behind the scenes that they've got to get figured out. Yeah, I do wonder if part of the reason why this movie didn't do as well as it did, and I don't disagree, I think it's delightful, it's super charming, but it is so tonally different than much of what Marvel has put out in Phase 5 up to this point. And I agree, I think Quantumania is a flop, Thor Love and Thunder didn't do super well either, you've got Wakanda Forever mixed in there, which is a, you know, marketedly high point. 
But it seems like Marvel is having a little bit of an issue with its own concept of the multiverse. I feel like they've approached it in this sense where you can throw anything at the wall to see what sticks. Tonally, content-wise, you can bring in all these different heroes. It's an open universe. But they've committed to saying that everything that they've done, even the things that aren't great, like Secret Invasion, they're going to be part of the canon universe, the 616 Marvel canon universe. Instead of saying, well, we're just going to try things out and see what happens. And if it doesn't work, well, then that happened in universe 615. Glad that we, you know, gave it a whirl. But I feel like the Marvels is kind of mixed in with this bag of we're going to shake it around and, and see what happens and see if it works. And tonally, I think people think that this film didn't work for them, that they found that maybe it was skewed to almost a younger audience who's more interested in kind of the, the entry level superhero discussions rather than something like Loki, which is still in this phase five and was happening concurrently, which I think is fantastic and has been one of the better things that Marvel has produced uh, since Endgame. But those two pieces of media don't match up with each other. They're so vastly different. They appeal to different audiences. And that might be kind of a hole in the overall universe. At the other end of things, I think the, the idea of the tone discrepancy across the films and between the films is really interesting because there's also, to my mind, way too much enforced tone, like branding similarity between a lot of the films as well. I'm particularly thinking of, is it Thor Ragnarok? which for so much of it and all of the best bits is a lunatic space epic Taika Waititi madhouse. But then the fact that it's a part of this Marvel Cinematic Universe means I need to bookend it and also pepper it with these, in context, really kind of grating, sincere Marvel soap opera bits and pieces so that it remains consistent with the rest of the universe. So you're right, at the one hand, They've developed an expectation in their audience that every single one of their films is going to have this kind of tonal consistency. And is it even not really clear what the Marvel tone is? That, like, at some points, being Marvelish in tone seems to mean like being like kind of bland, but in a reasonably upbeat and positive way. So, on the one hand, yeah, they seem to have recognized that they need to branch out in terms of the kinds of stories that they're telling, but they've also kind of shackled themselves to a very particular kind of movie that they want to make that doesn't work with all of the kinds of stories that they want to tell. Have they though? Because I mean, and again, I'm kind of an outsider, but some of the movies that have hit for me, anything in the Wakanda for, you know, I will go to Wakanda every single time, or I will go see a Spider-Man movie every single time. You know, that's the kind of stuff that penetrates a normie like me, but you know, and even the guardians of the galaxy like that, is wildly different in tone, right? Than something like Thor or something. I don't know. I, it does feel like they do kind of play with like WandaVision, I thought was a really interesting take on that character and that they took some risks with it. And I thought it worked for the most part. So I do think that they play with tone, but I just don't know that they do such a great job of bringing them all together unless it's endgame. Well, and the films that you've named there have like marketable sincerity in them. They have a kind of seriousness that I think isn't necessarily bland, but it is, it's emotional and, and gripping. WandaVision dealing with grief, Wakanda Forever dealing with loss, these kinds mm -hmm. of stories that speak to an older audience. And I think the Marvels speaks almost more to the, the 14 year old audience, the audience yeah. that resonates with Kamala's character. 
the fan fiction writers and the cosplayers and, and these people, which that is a, a rich and fantastic part of this universe. I think I would have rather watched a two and a half hour movie about Monica and about her relationship with losing her mom and her relationship with Carol and those mm-hmm. kinds of threads that are really quickly woven into that story. And they're beautiful where they are there, but they're somewhat overshadowed by the silliness or by the antics of, you know, Ms. Marvel, who is fantastic. I love her in this film. But those two characters don't really match up. And the stories don't really match saying. up. Yeah, I thought and I thought Ms. Marvel almost stole the show. I thought she almost stole the whole whole movie for me. I can't believe how much I disagree with you guys. Okay. So first of all, Al knows that this is what we do. We, we just get into fights and I usually win, but you know, every now and then he'll drink a pint and it's all good. So going back to your point, Sarah, I think that those films might have been directed by really good directors and you're responding to the really good directorness of the Wakanda films in particular with Ryan Coogler, who happens to be a friend of mine. Shut out, Ryan. He listens to the podcast. And the Spider-Man thing is weird because the director of the Spider-Man films is good, but also they take a lot of care. Like they're working with Sony to make sure that those films are really, really good. So I, I think that that's what's going on with that. I, I think you're responding to like the care that's going into those films, whereas the other films, Thor, um, Love and Thunder, Quantumania, there's not that level of care going into those films. Now, why? I, I mean, look, you're right, all right, that this has a younger tone. But Marvel has always had films that had younger tones. And in order to be a successful film franchise, like on their level, you have to make films that appeal to the young people and also the films that appeal to older people. And if you only make films that appeal to the older people, then you get Zack Snyder's DC universe. And that's going to peter out. If you only make films that appeal to young people, then you'll get, I don't know, something else. And so they're trying to walk that fine line of making TV shows like Loki season two, which I think is good. I didn't love it, but I mean, Loki's not my dude. You know, I think maybe Jonathan Majors being in there just kind of threw me off. And I don't know, I, I, we talked about the whole Jonathan Majors saga, but like they're trying to make films and TV shows that appeal to all quadrants. Now, the Miss Marvel TV show was really, really good. It's much more juvenile than this film, though. So I would argue, because look, I'm 40-something, and this movie was perfect for me. It was great. I loved it, right? Maybe I'm juvenile. Maybe I'm youngish acting, youngish thinking. That's possible. I wear hoodies a lot. I don't know, right? It's possible that I'm youngish acting and youngish thinking, so therefore, you know, I'm not up to that level. But this movie really, really worked for me. I think Monica Rambeau's character is really, really good. I think that the actress who plays it is really, really strong. Again, really, the only thing that bothered me in this film is Brie Larson. I didn't like her very much in this film. Like, not at all. I think that it skewed young whenever it was focused on that particular character. But it also did some heavy lifting dealing with Monica Rambeau's loss and dealing with her relationship with her mother and what that was all about. Like, I really responded to that. It was established that I was not a huge fan of the Ms. Marvel TV show, that it was too kiddie for me. I did get through it as preparation for this, but it was sort of a chore. Some of the stuff, like in India with the historical stuff, I, I appreciate a little more. But still, I, it was not motivating to me that I must go back and see more. And I sort of felt the same way about Secret Invasion. I didn't hate Secret Invasion, 
but it didn't motivate me in the way that Loki actually made it me, for the most part, want to like actually binge the season. Not as much season two as season one. And the whole like, I just want to be with my friends thing seemed like very foreign to the spirit of Loki and, you know, when it sort of got touchy feely. So this is where I'm coming from. The sci-fi, you know, the older stuff, the what Vi is talking about. When I left the theater after seeing Marvel's, my three word review was zero emotional stakes. That's how I felt about it. I felt like the hmm. treatment of, oh, I'm being reunited with my long lost aunt was like, who cares? It was not even dramatized in the least. It was something that was pointed to, but did not show up. Especially, I understand that I'm not the target audience, but being united with your idol, actually having the Ms. Marvel from the TV show hooking up with her, that was kind of nice. I think I agree with Lawrence. I don't dislike Brie Larson, but I didn't get a sense of who that character was at all. Like, I don't remember the original Ms. Marvel movie well enough to get like, I mean, okay, so she has some guilt, but she's a little spunky. Why does she have this cat? So many questions, maybe because I did not rewatch that movie. It was clear nothing terribly bad was going to happen to any of the characters and not to spoil, but the thing that happens to one of the characters that they're all sad about, I did not care. It's not particularly bad as far as I'm concerned. It was just opening up. And I I thought that the post-credit scene that you're referring to, Lawrence, actually it was not post-credits. It was like right pre-credits, right? The end scene. It's mid-credits. Well, there's the end scene and then there's the mid-credits. The the end scene that, well, you mentioned X-Men. So I've been waiting. Like, yeah, I know they're going to introduce the X-Men. How are they going to handle it with the multiverse? Kind of excited. You know, I kind of like the the multiverse idea. But when it actually happened, the way that it happened, I can't say that I jumped out of my seat and was really excited about it. I felt there were a lot of individual cute things and cute scenes and cute performances that happened in this. But it just Mm -hmm. was like one thing after another. I didn't really understand The whole plot itself wasn't motivating to me, or maybe I just wasn't really understanding what are the stakes here? Why is this person going and destroying everybody? I don't know. I Even when I had those questions answered, because Ms. Marvel feels guilt for what happened in in the first one, I don't know. It just didn't emotionally resonate with me at all. Well, because Captain Marvel or Carol Danvers feels like an underwritten character she just doesn't seem like i don't have a problem with brie larson i think she's didn't she win an academy award (laughs) she's a she's a good actress officially but i just don't feel like she was given enough character there there was just not enough meat on the bone for her to really do anything with and i don't know if it's because you know maybe marvels has a woman problem or but at the same time there are other women characters who actually are really interesting, including Ms. Marvel. I thought she was, the teenager was great. I thought Monica was great, like really interesting. I wish that, you wish that there's a whole movie about Monica and her journey. You know, that would have been probably more interesting than a whole movie about Carol Danvers. And singing. Yeah, the singing was a, a choice. And, but like choices like that where the, the movie is already I like so... It's a, it's a sci-fi, <laughs> what is wrong Keep, I'm, I'm sorry, Vi. I'm, I'm going to fight with y'all for the rest of the day. Go ahead, go ahead, Vi. I'm sorry. I don't want to be clear. I do think that there are some really, truly fun moments. My, my particular favorite is the cat's memories. Of course, of course. That, that was wonderful. But I do, I think the stage is a little crowded for trying to tell all these different stories and to feel like all of them are compelling. Maybe the reason that we don't really resonate with Carol as much in this movie is because she's not given 
the time to kind of have motives or to have reasons for her guilt. I feel like that plot is kind of stitched together very quickly. But it has ties to that first Captain Marvel movie. So if we had gotten to see her maybe in a more standalone setting, we would have been a little bit more compelled to her. But I feel the same way about Monica. I would have watched three hours of a Captain Photon movie. I think that would have been fantastic. And I do feel the same way about Kamala. But when they're all together, and you add in Nick Fury, and you add in the parents, and you add in the little side gigs, it becomes really cluttered. And I just wonder if they could have devoted more time to each of the characters individually to give us those kind of more interesting stories. Now, obviously, Ms. Marvel's had six hours of content through her TV show. And maybe that's why she works better for us on screen here. But it's, yeah, it just feels a little busy sometimes. And I don't want to sacrifice any one of those characters to make a better movie because they are all fantastic. And I think it's important that we see them. But I'm not sure if they work here all together. I mean, they were able to, from my research, I watched all of the Avengers movies. And that you talk about a lot of characters packed into these movies and they managed to do that pretty successfully, you know, and I wonder why it wasn't as successful here. I mean, is it because it's a lighter, lighter in tone or is it just because it was rushed or, you know, they had all those reshoots and rewrites and all that kind of stuff. Is that what's gotten in the way? No, I think it's because you're wrong. You know, (laughs) the issue here is that this is not a one car Y film, guys. Like, what are you looking for from a superhero film? Like, you're looking for great emotional depth and characterization? We're looking for Iron Man 1 over and over again. That's now, really... you're not going to get Iron Man 1. That's not going to happen. If you go back and look at those Avengers films, like, go back and look at them now. Like, don't look at them through the prism of what Marvel has become. But go back and look at them on their own merits. You'll realize those films are like this one. Right. In fact, a little, a little less successful than this one, honestly. Like the characterization in the first Avengers film is thin, right? It is quite thin. When you look at the direct, at the director, the you see why. The first two are. Yeah. The first, the first two and are. The second one is even worse. It gets better when the, when the Russo brothers come along, but the action gets a little bit better. Like the storytelling comes a little bit, becomes a little bit more cohesive. And so they get a formula to work with that the formula is doing all the work to give you what you need for the characters. The issue is that we are disconnected from that. And so we're going back to this film and we're expecting Warcon Y. We're expecting Spike Lee film. We're expecting a Steven Spielberg circa 1980s characterization. And that's not what you're going to get with this film. Like you're going to get a film that I think if you look at what Nia DaCosta did, who's the director of the film, uh, she, also, she also directed the great Candyman film. I really enjoyed that film. I saw that in class, actually. The heavy lifting that she's having to do to make those powers interconnected, like, don't undersell how hard that is. That is a feat of direction for her to be able to do that. Now, the villain, I think, is a wonderful actress. She's very thin in the writing. Like, I didn't love that. But it tells the story that is on the heels of the first movie. So maybe the first movie didn't work for you. And that's the reason why this one doesn't. Because the first film sets the stage for what happens in this one. It's a direct sequel. And that first film explains the world. It explains what's happening. explains the decision that she made. 
and explains all the backstory stuff that you need in order for this one to make sense. Like maybe you just didn't understand that first film. Maybe you didn't like that first film. I, I remember liking the first film, but I don't remember it. And that, so you're probably right. Rewatching that would have been smart. Because this is a direct sequel to it. I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm just going to say you're wrong, Jason. The first film sets up the conflict of this, which then is almost immediately resolved in a cutscene when Carol says that she's going to go back to Hala and destroy the Supreme Intelligence as the, you know, the founder of an unjust war. They only show that once. And the actual like conflict of this movie isn't what Carol said it was going to be. It's the consequences of the action that she's taken to resolve that first film. Mm -hmm. But because we don't really see that, we see her just go in, explode the supreme intelligence, and then more or less go home. And the act of leaving is what causes the problems. So I, I don't know if it's that the conflict doesn't make sense or if you don't remember it. I think it's just too fast. And that's kind of how I feel about the movie in general. I don't think that Ant-Man needed to be however long that movie was, two and a half hours, and this movie, 90 minutes. I really think those should have been flipped. This movie, I think, would have benefited from a longer runtime to kind of give the characters the depth that the first film suggested that they would have and that the series suggested that they would have. Monica in WandaVision and Ms. Marvel in her own show, I think, deserved more time here rather than giving that time to Thor or Scott, or any of the other characters. All right, interruption here. I got a really interesting podcast recommendation for you listeners today. The Vocal Fries podcast is a podcast about linguistic discrimination. Learn about how we judge other people's speech as a sneaky way to be racist, sexist, classist, etc. Carrie Gillen and Megan Figueroa teach you how to stop being an accidental jerk about language. Find the Vocal Fries podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, or find it at vocalfriespod.com. I will be teaching a remote class, Core Texts in Philosophy, this spring, starting mid-January, and I'd love you to join me. For details, please see partiallyexaminedlife.com slash class. I want to hear more, Al. I'd completely forgotten that the DC Cinematic Universe existed until Lawrence brought it up just now. And I think it is an instructive comparison. It's really easy looking at how Marvel has kind of fallen to like nitpick about and. Lord knows I love doing it, nitpick about all the bad qualities of the films. But then what they did do is that they did successfully manage to launch this thing in the first place. And they successfully managed to have, I can't keep the phases straight, but like phase one and phase two were great. I can't remember when it moved to phase three, but whatever ended with Endgame. Phase one wasn't great. It was actually kind of bad, honestly. I mean, it had some good stuff, but it was not great. And it's really easy to forget that like loads of other people started trying to emulate this. And without exception, everyone else who tried it failed, apart from maybe also Disney with Star Wars. But I don't think I agree with you, Lawrence, that what makes the DC universe bad is aimed at adults. I think what makes it bad is that it didn't understand the source material properly or didn't come at the source material with the kind of right angle to make the kind of movies that that they were trying to make or make the big cinematic universe that they were trying to make. And I think a lot of this does come down to characters. And I want to come back to the character of Captain Marvel because she is bland and boring and Brie Larson can do a lot better than she's given an opportunity to. And I was just thinking about Captain America and how Captain America's character is also kind of bland and boring. As is Superman's, it's kind of important for the character that they don't have any particularly interesting, like negative traits. And maybe it's a woman problem. Maybe it's, it's maybe it's more difficult to get to conjure a, 
a woman superhero who has the same kind of blandness but is still interesting as Captain America. But maybe it's also the case that you really kind of only get to do that once. There's probably only one way to do the true blue superhero in one cinematic universe, and Chris Evans already did it. So I don't know if anyone ever like asked the question of whether it's even possible to... like. How do you make Captain Marvel interesting after you've already done the Captain America story if she's supposed to be broadly the same character? I think I want to use that as a to sort of transition to a larger question of why superhero media at this point? You could say once it was done a couple times, once they did the 1979 or whatever Superman, once they did the first Spider-Man movie, once they did the first, like at least, you know, you could have it every decade or so, but then we're just trying different iterations. And I think actually Netflix was maybe their version of Marvel was a little more successful in it. Just like, we're going to get different filmmakers to make wildly different tones and kind of do whatever they want in this area. And they're going to make things with depth. And maybe it's just that somehow that worked a little better than Disney doing that the same way. Are you saying that Netflix, like their TV show stuff was better? Is that what you're trying to say? I enjoyed what? Daredevil, yes. Alias. Jessica Jones is probably Jessica Jones. Those were all pretty solid. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Take it as you will. But the, the overall question, though, why is this still happening? I mean, this is just because I understand the financial reasons, but is there a reason for us to be on board with this and continue to or is it, you know, superheroes are, are a thing that a new generation is going to need sort of their version of. And so this is for the kids in a way. I'm just I'm unclear where we're at and why we're doing this at this point. Is this just the same thing as, you know, musicals were for the 40s and 50s and Westerns were for the 60s and early 70s? Like this is sort of just our version of escapist entertainment. Is that what this is now? Is that why it's gone on for so long? I think it's more cynical that it's gone on for so like Marvel Cinematic Universe has gone on for this long because it's been a reliable moneymaker for for whoever's been in charge of making it for so long. And so it hasn't been good out. So it hasn't been good. It's been a moneymaker. I'm a fan of a lot of the movies. They're not I don't think that they hold up very well. I don't think they age terribly well. I think it's a real risk that like the Marvel Cinematic Universe in, say, 20 years is going to be remembered as a, a weird cultural trend that everyone has forgotten about because they just don't keep the kind of edge and excitement a decade later that they had originally. And that's not true of some other films around the same time. Mark mentioned the, it's not the original Spider-Man movie, but the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies I also rewatched recently, and they still hold up fantastically. So Captain America's Civil War, that's, that's not great or nothing, right? That's, that's, that's like trash. And Captain America Winter Soldier, that's trash too. And then the first Black Panther movie, that's fucking trash. And then the Black Panther Wakanda Forever, that's fucking trash. And then the Avengers Endgame, that's fucking trash. And then the Avengers Affinity. I'm just saying, come on, dog. Like, those are good movies, man. Those are good movies. I'm not saying that they're not good movies. Okay. I'm not saying that they're not good movies. Like, you just named some of my favorite movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but there's a difference between saying something is a good movie and saying that something is still going to be remembered as a good or great movie 20 years. Hence, and I think on rewatching all of the Marvel stuff that I rewatched lately, none of it felt to me as good as the first time watching it. And most of it was kind of boring and a little bland in comparison to like to my sense memory of watching it the first time. And that I think is a problem for these movies. Maybe nobody else feels the same way, but I'm now interested in like talking about why 
like Mars question was, why are we still doing this? And I don't think there's a good reason to still be making superhero movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe way. I think a lot of the reasons why these movies feel tired is because they are tired. They're tied to a, a formula which was established by Kevin Feige. How long ago? 25 years ago, nearly at this point, he started making these. So one way of thinking about it is why would you expect these movies to still feel fresh? if They're still working off basically the same formula that they sprung phase one off. And I think Sarah's right. Superhero stories are just a standard part of the culture now and they're not going to go anywhere. But I also think Mark is right in that it seems obvious that the more promising way to keep superheroes relevant, fresh and interesting is to unshackle them from the kind of centralized Disney-fied Marvel tone and give people a chance to tell like original stories through original characters in interesting ways. As soon as Disney gives up trying to tell all these stories in phases and with a kind of with the kind of tight creative control that Disney has over everything it produces, the quicker we'll have much more interesting stories again. And just to clarify my question, I'm not saying, why are we doing this? In other words, we shouldn't be doing this. I'm saying, is there just a perennial psychological need for heroism, escapist? Like, I, I'll direct this to Vi, because when we talked about the heroine's journey on her first, there was something primordial that these films were serving. And so, of course, even just changing the flavor slightly. Oh, now we've got a Pakistani one. Now we've got, let's put two together. Let's put three together. Let's add this little shtick. As long as you have something new, you know, so it doesn't seem like exactly the same movie that we've had before, then like these should keep fulfilling their function indefinitely. Maybe I come in defense of the superhero film then in that sense that, Al, I agree with you. I think it will be useful if we can break away from the Disney-fied model, if only because Disney is going to have restrictions on what we can negotiate in the superhero setting. But that being said, we're still negotiating what we can have in a superhero setting, and they are still the entry point for it. So I think we're going to keep seeing these films. And I do think that there is something important about redoing and and kind of re-expressing them until we can get to the point where everybody is seen in these films to something of the same level, that we still need Black Panther and we still need Captain Marvel on the DC side. We still need Wonder Woman because we haven't yet gotten to a moment culturally where we're comfortable with all of those stories. We still need to give everybody the superhero narrative and the superhero narrative works to give those kind of different modes of representation. It's so powerful to be able to see yourself represented in this media in particular, in ways that I think Westerns are not really, or that, you know, spy movies, kind of generic action movies are not really. Because how fantastic is it to be the one that has the power, that has the story, even if it's the same story you've told 32 times before, it has never been your story. So I think they're going to keep doing it. I think there is still room for success in there even in a Disney model, even in some ways that are kind of constrained in terms of violence or, you know, whatever defenders had, like a lot of kind of more real world problems. There is still a way to make this work, I think. And it's important that they keep working towards that. You know, seeing yourself in superheroes, when they had the the new versions of all the Star Wars movies, when Ray, I don't remember when that was, was that 2012 or something like that? And I remember when Ray picked up a lightsaber and I started to cry because it was the first time I saw a female character 
in that particular role. And I, you know, and I was a kid in the seventies and eighties and I watched the first Star Wars movies as they came out. And, you know, if you wanted to be part of the action, you had to pretend to be Luke Skywalker or Han Solo. You had to pretend to be, I had to pretend to be a boy, which is, which is fine. You know, that was just the way it was. And it was so refreshing to see a female character that I thought, oh my God, my eight-year-old self was so happy, you know? And I think you're right. Like to be able to see yourself in these characters is something that you just don't get in some of the other genres. You do get that in superheroes. I totally see your point. And I think that's what the multiverse has the power to do if we could just do it on a higher quality level. Like if you can pick any entry point in phase four or phase five and say, I see myself there, or this is the character that I'm into. And so I'm going to go for it. I've waited for the X-Men. And so I'm going, you know, I'm going all in here. That's fantastic. But I think it's not necessarily unfair, but I think it's hard then if so many of those entry points are flawed and they're not reputable stories or they don't contribute to the overall universe. For me, like I love phase three and phase two, but my main entry point to the MCU was WandaVision in feeling like this is a fantastic story that works really well. And so I'm all in from here on out. If we could just kind of make that more, not uniform, but just more even keel across everything. It's a quality control issue. Make everything as good as it was. (laughs) And then we won't have any problems. You know, then everybody can pick and choose what part of this universe they want to be in, whether it's Loki, whether it is Ms. Marvel, Captain Photon, Carol Danvers, just give them a fair chance to, to get those stories in. The good thing about a universe is that it is a universe, right? And so you can have stories that appeal to kids. You can have stories that appeal to adults. We even talk about Gardens of the Galaxy Part 3, which was a very adult film. I thought it was pretty successful. And so you can have all these different kinds of stories. Like not all the stories need to be the same. The problem with Marvel now, as opposed to Marvel in phase two, phase three, phase four, is that back then when they dropped something in a film, they would pay it off later, maybe two years later, but they would eventually pay it off. Now nothing connects significantly. Like everything is so disjointed and things do not connect and don't, build into each other any kind of really organic way like what happened in secret evasions that honestly makes this film worse like when you look at what happened and the storytelling and like what's going on with the characters what's going on with the alien races that makes no sense in context what's happening in captain marvel like it's almost like it's a completely different universe and what's going on with nick fury in that film does not carry over to what's going on in this film so that's the issue. Like they need to slow down, right? Whenever I think the name was JPEG, uh, whenever the, the president of, of Disney, whenever you said we're going to ramp things up, we're going to do all these things. We're going to make all these films and all these TV shows. That's fine. If you have the infrastructure to support that, he did not have the infrastructure to support that. Right. And so he began to really put things out that were half baked. Like, I love Captain America, the, the new one, the black guy, you know, the Falcon one. I love that. But that TV show, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, was not very good because it was half-baked. I never finished Hawkeye. That show was half-baked. I didn't like She-Hulk. That show was half-baked. Like, they need to slow down and make sure that the stuff that they're putting out connects well 
and that it's well-made. Now, I don't mind the variances of tone. I don't mind that like there is a tone, but they've kind of started playing with that, right? And so they're starting to play with ideas of releasing R-rated stuff like with Deadpool. And I imagine whenever they finally release Blade, which I was very much looking forward to, and there's all kinds of stuff behind the scenes about how Ali almost left that film because the decision-making that was going on with time making that film. Like, they're starting to, like, branch out and do different things, but I don't mind the tone of so I don't mind that some things are a little bit more kiddie and some things a little bit more adult. I don't mind those things. Just make it good. Like, just make it a really good version of whatever it is you're going for, and I'll be okay with that. That's what I'm waiting for Marvel to do. And honestly, really, the test is going to be, I believe, in two years. Whenever they release a Fantastic Four film and the version of Reed Richards that we get, whether it's the maker, whatever we get there is going to be really, really important for what they're trying to go for. And when they release a X-Men film, because I'm, a, I'm an X-Men person, and you could think that that's an easy sell, but it's not. Because you could really, really mess up that X-Men film. And if they release quality Fantastic Four films and quality X-Men films, then we're back on track. Then we're good. That's going to be the test for them. And I think that's part of the reason why they're slowing things down and really focusing because they know they've got to hit that out the park. Because Fantastic Four could change everything, depending upon how they use Reed Richards in particular. Because Reed Richards is such a weird character. And he's a little bit of an asshole. He's a little bit of a jerk. He might be on the spectrum depending upon the writer that they're referencing, like that's a really weird story and a really weird character to play with, but it could be a monumental character, particularly with what's going on with Jonathan Majors. If they want to cut bait with Jonathan Majors, they could do so by introducing a Reed Richards that is really complex, kind of dark. It depends on what they do there. So we'll see. But my main note to them, I know they're not listening to me, but if they were listening to me, I would say, Slow down and make quality entertainment. If you do a good job at that, everything else will iron itself out. My running joke is that if Marvel would hire me for three weeks, I got this. I'll, I'll figure it out for you. Oh, it would be please <laughs> all. And I would do it for like, not free, but like, you know, just throw me a million. I'm cheap. Throw it to me. I got it. <laughs> I guess I'm excited about, I see Young Avengers is coming. That's great for its target audience. I'm sure I'll for watch me. it anyway. And it's going to be Kitty, and you're going to shit all over it, but it's going to be a good movie. No, it's going to be amazing. If they can do Billy and Tommy Maximoff the right way, the Young Avengers Children's Crusade, it's going to be great. That's what we're hoping for. All right. Thunderbolts, I'm more excited about. Let's get the villains together. That's just more my... I know Suicide Squad is perhaps not the best model, but I was not invested in any of those characters in Suicide Squad, particularly... Whereas the Marvel growing this, the bad Captain America in that Falcon and the Winter Soldier was one of the better parts of that and reintroducing Baron Zemo and thing, you know, so building on more of that stuff, I hope I'm not disappointed. In my imagination, it's going to be a, a, a good event. I think if Marvel can get their ground level threats in order, because they have two tiers of conflict, they have the Marvels, Doctor Strange level of, you know, this is universe bending, Loki, all that. But if they can get their ground level heroes in order with things like Echo, Daredevil, Thunderbolts, where all those characters have real world consequences, the kind of Madame Hydra storyline, I think that has the potential to be fantastic. Because as you've said, Lawrence, those are some of the, the better phase two and phase three movies. Al, you said it too, Winter Soldier, Civil War, where all of the threats are, you know, internal 
domestic and foreign, but they're not universe ending. So I think that has the potential to be really fun, really interesting. There's a weird problem, and we've talked about in this podcast before, with movies now and stakes and the fact that it seems so difficult for movies, especially action and adventure movies, to have stakes that are anything less than apocalyptic and, you know, preferably universe ending. And one of the most fun things about the phase one, phase two Marvel movies was that you got this gradual increase in stakes. You got Tony Stark beating up Afghanis in the first Iron Man movie. And then there was slowly got, oh, look, there are aliens and there's gods and then there's and then there's Thanos and you got this whole lovely like build up in threat and I would say well once you're there is it then any real then you do have a real predicament because you've already dealt with Thanos and then you want to do a whole new phase of movies so what are you going to scale down and now pretend that thugs on a street corner is is a genuine threat that you want to like build a, a film franchise around but then I thought and that was the point I was going to make but then I thought but but comics do this all the time. You have your different levels of stakes. You have your different focuses and attention. And it seems like, I mean, the DC movies are more or less, the recent ones have been more or less entirely garbage. But this is something that I think DC comics at least do incredibly well. You have your different tiers of superheroes and they all have their different beats. That's very like true. Green Arrow in particular is fond of saying, like, I'm not the guy you want for the world ending threat. I'm the guy who handles the bank robberies. Please call, you know, Batman. That doesn't feel like, because you're right by it. It's all, it's all about the state. They need to go back to ground level, back to the beginning and find like appropriate stakes to be interesting, but not overwrought or overmuch for the, the level of the character or the story that they're at. I'm also thinking about Spider-Man and the, the Spider-Verse movies because they're a rare exception of like a recent Marvel property, Marvel and inverted commas property, which is interesting, is new, is exciting. And it also had lower stakes, like the stakes of the Marvel movie. Oh, sorry. The stakes of, is it Into the Spider-Verse? Yeah. The yeah into the Spider-Verse. Into the yeah. Spider-Verse is essentially Miles's need to get through high school and his relationship with his uncle. And then it kind of expands and blows up. And there is, yeah, a, like a threat of the multiverse ending, but it's not really the, the core of the story. And yeah, this just brings me back to thinking that this is a capital D Disney issue. There seems to be a rel- reluctance there to get back to kind of ground level storytelling. I think it comes back to what Lauren said earlier, though, about quality control. It's like whatever the stakes are, your audience is going to be with you if you create characters that you give a shit about. So with Captain Marvel, the problem is, I mean, her powers, she could destroy an entire universe with her powers, right? And she has consequences to what she destroyed in the first movie. But I didn't really care or really understand that in the same way that I really understood the latest Spider-Man movies and his problems, his relatively low stakes, I was absolutely in there with him. I cared about that character. And there are many characters who I, Endgame, I was really surprised at how much I cared about a lot of those superheroes. It's just, it comes down to quality control, I think. I'd like to change gears a little bit because there's something that Mark said earlier that made me start thinking. Brie Larson. Is she good? Are we sure she's good? Okay, so she won an Academy Award for the film Room, if you remember that film. But literally, not every single decision she's made since then, but I just wrote down a few things. Fast X, terrible. She wasn't very good in that. 
Captain Marvel, the first one, eh, she was fine. The Marvels, eh, she was fine. Lessons in Chemistry, not a good show. And she's not very good in that. She was miscast. Is Brie Larson a good actress? Are we sure she is? What do you guys think? I mean, she's, I think Brie Larson's a good actress with a bad agent. Is that what it is? <laughs> she needs new representation. Like something is going, like she clearly can act because she was really good in Room. Like that was a transcendental like performance. She was really good in that film. But literally everything else she's done since that film has been either underwhelming or bad. Like what's going on there? My typically cynical take on that would be she won an Oscar. Her and her agent saw dollar signs and immediately signed up to a load of really, really high value projects, which maybe weren't the best fit for her at the time. And that's probably, and that's, like, you can lose a few years to that, especially if you sign yourself up to working on Marvel. Like, it's going to take her a while to course correct. I, I don't know, guys. Like, like, the spectacular now she was good in, train wreck she was good in, rumors where she won the Oscar. Then she was in Kong Skull Island. Like, she's been in a whole bunch of trash, like Marvel, a whole bunch of Marvel stuff. She was decent in Just Mercy, but not really. I don't know, guys. I'm thinking that Brie Larson might not be very good anymore. Like, maybe she has, I hear what you guys are saying. Like, she's going to be awesome. She's going to be fine. But honestly, there are a number of actors who win Academy Awards and then fall off a cliff. And so just because we say she's going to be fine and just because we say she's going to make a lot of money doesn't mean she's going to make quality films anymore. I'm worried about it, guys. Maybe you should reach out, Lawrence. No, reach I'm not reaching out to her. If she was black, I'd reach out to her. I reached out to Brie Larson. Brie Larson got plenty of people behind her. She needs to do better. Maybe she's like Halle Berry that, you know... Hey, 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 sir. Halle Berry is... They're both charismatic and they have some Holly acting Berry's chops. on a whole different level than Brie Larson when it comes to charisma. Don't start with All me. Right, well, don't, if you thought, don't make me fight If you think Halle Berry in those, in those X-Men movies, in Catwoman, etc., was good, you know, I think you could make a similar case against Halle Berry. These are movie stars. She was still doing interesting roles. Like, she, yeah, she did trash, to be sure. She did trash film. X-Men, I wouldn't say it trash. The X-Men film was actually pretty good. But she did some questionable things, but she also did some interesting things along the way. Uh, no, don't, don't compare. Don't, that's a losing fight, sir. Don't compare Brie Larson to the legendary, great, all time, beautiful, top notch black actress, Holly Berry. <laughs> sir, I, uh, I, pro- where there is a comparison is that Holly Berry made all her worst professional decisions immediately after winning an Oscar. That is true. She did. She did, but she rebounded. She got back to it. I'm just waiting for Brie Larson to rebound, and I'm beginning to think that she might not, and that's concerning because I think she had some. She has some talent. She can do some interesting things, but I'm concerned. I'm saying there are things that make people movie stars. Their inherent charisma, and I think just like Jennifer Lawrence, just like Evan Rachel Wood, I put them with Brie Larson all in the sort of the same category of people that I personally find very cute and compelling that they seem really smart. You know, they seem like there's a mind there as well as just being movie star cuteness. So I don't know. This is all sounding a little. So, 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 so Ryan Gosling, Ryan Gosling's not cute. Is that what we said? We're saying like guys ain't cute either. Like Brad Pitt exactly ain't cute. Like, the same what are we thing. doing? I don't need to say more about this. <laughs> we can agree that Lashana Lynch uh, has actually won this whole thing because she is now in every universe in the MCU. And she seems to be doing great. She's in universe 616. 
she's in universe 838 and she's wherever the X-Men are. So she's figured it out. She's got the, the code. Maybe she can share it with Brie Larson. Yeah, I feel like I'm seeing Tessa Thompson everywhere in every universe now. Oh, yeah, that was a great cameo, by the way. I, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I, li- I like her. I love, love, <laughs> love her. There you go. Very, <laughs> I, was, I was very happy to see her show up. Very charismatic person. I'm sure they'll... I think Tessa Thompson is going to be fine, too. <laughs> Honestly, Tessa Thompson is is making some of the most interesting career choices. Like, she's doing Creed. She's doing this. And then she's also doing, like, weird stuff, like uh, the stuff she did with Boots, right? Like, she's doing, she's doing interesting stuff. She's really yeah. good. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's having a moment. All right, let's close down. Any of the f- final thoughts for the main episode here? And perhaps some of us can keep sniping about I feel like some of this should have been in the after talk that we already said, but that's all right. It's in the main episode. <laughs> no, everything I said, I want it to be said on the main episode. Okay. I want people to hear what I have to say about this. <laughs> Don't put this in the after dark. Don't relegate it. I'm, this is important. No stuff relegation. Thank you. Uh, we're actually still putting the after talks. If you actually are on the pretty much pop feed and not just listening to this through the partial of the life feed, you'll hear the after talks at least for a, a, a few more until we get tired of that as a gimmick. Thanks, Vi. Thank you. Thanks, Vi. Thanks very much, you guys. This is always fun. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. So long. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. For a limited time, you can get our after talk in the version of this episode that's in the Pretty Much Pop feed. To get all of our after talks and other bonus content, please support the podcast at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.